Journey through Genesis part 10, Genesis 12. Let me say a prayer. We'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your goodness. I pray, God, that you would just speak to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. All right. Now, part 9, last time we finished up all of Genesis 11. And we dealt with this guy by the name of Nimrod. I don't know if you remember that, but Nimrod was really not his name. It was probably more like a description of his character. And the name Nimrod means ongoing rebellion. Nimrod was a rebel. Nimrod started the mystery religions of Babel. And there's all kinds of mythology and mysticism and legend connected to Nimrod. Nimrod supposedly married his mother, and she was the queen of heaven. And you've got these different uh, ways of looking at all of that. But Nimrod was responsible for, built, responsible for building Babel, the Tower of Babel. The story is like this. Nimrod painted a picture of God who was an angry God, who was a mad God, who was a mean God that you couldn't trust, you couldn't rely on, you couldn't put your faith into him because he had destroyed all of the earth with a flood. And so Nimrod lied about who God was, and Nimrod said, let us make a name for ourselves. Forget his name. Let's make a name for ourselves. And they built the Tower of Babel, which was a place where they could save themselves, at least some of them. It wasn't to go into heaven. You can't build a tower high enough to get into heaven. But it was all about saving themselves. If another flood came, although God said he wouldn't do that again, they could crawl up into the top of that tower. And he, he brought the whole world against God. I mean, Noah and his boys and their wives, they began to repopulate the earth. But just in short order, the earth is again depraved. It's angry at God. It's messed up. And so we have the introduction of a guy named Terah at the end of Genesis 11. I mentioned him last week. And those rabbinical sources say that Terah was connected to Nimrod. Terah, we know from Stephen's writings, from Joshua and from other places in Genesis, that that family was a family of idol makers. And Abram was connected to them. And so God begins to deal with Abram in a family of idol makers. Let's pick it up there. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord had, notice the past tense, the Lord had said to Abram, we saw this at the end of Genesis 11. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. Now listen, that can't be any more clear, right? Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. If that was being said to me, that would be Donovan, leave the United States of America. Leave Louisiana. Leave the United States of America. Leave the family of Caleb and Linda Hill and, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. I mean, it's very, very clear. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's saying, you separate yourselves from all that's familiar to you, and I'm going to do great things in you and bless you beyond your imagination. Look at verse 4. So Abram departed 
as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, this is a second departure from Haran. He had already left Ur of the Chaldees to get to this point. And it was at Ur of the Chaldees where he heard the voice of the Lord and he began to follow after that voice, but he didn't do it all the way, as I preached a couple of Sundays ago. Abram was from a family of idol makers. Joshua 24, 2 verifies this. We also know when Jacob, Abram's grandson, spent time with some of Abram's people, they were still into idolatry, Genesis 31. They had been under the spell of Nimrod, the rebel. Although it was hundreds of years later, Nimrod's legacy lived on. Now, we're going to talk about Nimrod some more. It's crazy how many times he comes up. We'll see him tonight some more, and then he'll be mentioned again when we start talking about Jacob. In Acts 7, as I mentioned, Stephen clarifies some time frames on what was going on. It's a little confusing when you read through Genesis, and but when you get into Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, really clarifies some things as far as dates, ages. But here's one thing we do know. It was while Abram was still in Ur that the Lord spoke to him, and we know that he partially obeyed. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on a Sunday about how the Lord rejoiced over the word that Abram did obey and did not slam him over the word that he did not obey. Abram was a new believer. Everybody say new believer. He was a new convert. He was in the new converts class. And just like a baby stumbling around, the Lord didn't kick him when he was stumbling and falling. The Lord picked him up and helped him and gave him some direction and cheered him on. So he was partially obeying. He was a new believer. But don't be misled. Abram's receiving the promises in their entirety was inextricably connected to his full and complete compliance and obedience to God's Word. As long as Abram was in partial obedience, he was delayed and he was barren. Interestingly enough, his father's name, Terah, means delayed. And the place where he got stuck for a few years, Haran or Haran means parched and barren. Abram's partial obedience caused a delay that left him parched and barren. I mean, the Lord was cheering him on, but there was only so much the Lord could do as long as he was in partial obedience. His partial obedience kept him out of the land flowing with milk and honey where his destiny was supposed to be fulfilled. And while it's true, God doesn't slam you for your partial obedience, especially if you're a new convert, it is also true that you will never fully, listen, fulfill your destiny until you fully surrender to the will and the word of Almighty God. I remember when I first got back in church years and years ago, I thought I could serve the Lord a little and live in the world a little. I thought it was possible to have one foot in the world 
and one foot in the church. And I thought I was doing good to do that. Lord, at least you got one foot, you know. I had a foot in the church and a foot in the world. But I learned very quickly as my face got bitten off that you can't live half in and half out. Valerie, same story. She tried to do the same thing when she first got in church. And you learn, same results. You can't do that. It's been said, living for God hard is easy. And living for God easy is hard. What took Abram from a place of partial obedience and being stuck into going to the land flowing with milk and honey where he was supposed to be? What made that happen? What was the catalyst for that happening? Well, Stephen's account in Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 2, gives us this important detail. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Don't you want to see what the answer to the question is? What was the catalyst? Here it is, verse number 2 of Acts 7. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldees and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. God could not move Abram until his father died. Abram was stuck because of his connection to his father. Listen to this. If you're going to fulfill your destiny, if you're going to do what God's called you to do, you're going to have to let some people go. Oh, my goodness, this is a hard lesson right here. But I'm going to tell you the truth. You've got to let some people go because they're holding you back. They're what's delaying you. They're the ones that are draining you. They're the reason you feel parched and barren and you can't seem to get where you need to be in the Lord. They're keeping you from your destiny. You've got to learn how to walk away from maybe some of your friends, some of your drinking buddies, some of your dope-smoking buddies. I know I'm in church. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of your gossiping buddies. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you ain't got no business being with. Oh, it got really quiet there. You finally got that boyfriend. But you're further away from God and from fulfilling the call of God on your life than ever before. Maybe you need to get rid of that boyfriend so you can enter into your destiny. I'm just telling you. Maybe it's a peer or a colleague. Maybe it's even someone in your own family. Their voice of negativity could be the very thing that's keeping you from being all that God's called you to be and doing all that God's called you to do. Abram had to learn, this is so powerful, Abram had to learn to obey the call of God even when it did not make sense to him. 
That was a tough call. It didn't make sense. Abram had to learn to make the hard calls, listen to this, that would separate him from people who would never understand why he was separating from them. There was no logical explanation. Now, you know how I am. I get bogged down in trying to put myself in the moment. I try to put myself in the story, and I don't want to overstay my welcome in this part of the text, but I don't want to glaze over it too quickly either. Think about the conversation Abram had with his father and his family. The Lord reveals himself to Abram. Abram, all those idols are fake. I am the true and living God. Nimrod was an idiot. Your family, y'all have been idiots. I want to show you myself. I want to reveal myself to you. I am asking you, I'm commanding you, leave your father's household. Leave your family and come and follow me. I'll show you where I'm going to take you. I'm going to do awesome things. You're going to be a blessing to the entire earth. Now listen, God spoke to Abram that very thing. And then he goes to his father and his family, and he says something along these lines. Hey, y'all, I've heard from the true and living God, creator of heaven and earth. All these idols, they're fake. All these years, we've been following something that's not even real. God's been revealing himself to me, and he's told me I have to leave this place and go to a land that he would show me. Now, Abram was such a salesman. Oh, my Lord. Y'all understand, I grew up in sales. My dad was a vacuum cleaner distributor. I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners almost all of my life. I guess not so now that I'm 51, but, I mean, the, the until I was an adult, well up into those years, I was connected to the, to the vacuum cleaner business. To this day, we need a new vacuum at the church. You know what I did? I called my cousin Randy, Russell. Hey, Randy, what you doing? I'm about to head to Mexico. Before you go to Mexico, send me a vacuum. We need a vacuum cleaner. My family's still in the vacuum cleaner business. So I understand sales, man. We were hardcore door knockers. Knock, knock, knock. Go away. Hey, I want to register you for a $1,000 drawing. And before it's over with, I'm going to extract $1,500 out of your pocket and get you to buy this vacuum cleaner. You don't know it yet, but I'm a salesman. You know what I mean? Like, I, And my dad is a super I grew up in sales. If you know anything about sales, That's a brutal business. When somebody comes to me and they say, hey, Pastor, I got a job. I'm so excited about it. It's going to be awesome. It's a sales job. Really? That's awesome. You a good salesman? Yeah, I think it's going to be good. Hey, listen, it pays awesome. Do they give you a salary? No, it's commission only, but holy cow, the commissions are out of this world. And I'm always like, yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. Like My hopes go way down, especially when they say it's commission only. I'm like, really what you are is self-unemployed, right? 
yourself unemployed. Hey, it's hard to get that motivation to go knock on a door. It's hard to do that. So here's Abram, and he's such a salesman. I heard a voice of God, and he told me everything we stood for is fake. And, 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 and he told me to follow him to a land that he would show me. And his dad and his family say, wow, we're coming with you. Just like that. Turn on a dime. Leave everything they knew and follow, not God, but Abram. And God said to Abram, leave them too. But Abram has sold them on this voice talking to him. That they say, we're coming with you. You know, it's like when you get in a fight with your wife and she's packing her suitcase and you start packing yours. Where are you going? I'm going wherever you're going, you know, like, are you kidding me? His family was saying, I'm going wherever you go. He sold them so much, Milton. He sold them on the voice that they were willing to leave everything. Now, here's the conversation that he was supposed to have with them. He should have said, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, y'all. You cannot go with me. This is a journey I have to make apart from you. I have to separate myself from my father's household. Why, son? Because God told me to. I don't know. I just know God told me to. Do you realize how hard that would have been? How harsh that sounds? How offensive that would have been? But that was the cost, the high cost of obedience that was required of Abram. Didn't Jesus say something along those lines? Your devotion to me should be so strong that your family thinks they you hate them. It's the same type of command. But old Tara here, you know, Abram not wanting to offend his father or for whatever reason, he he doesn't refuse his father. Had he said that, I know as a father what I would say. Are you kidding me? I raised you, boy. I changed your diaper, you know. Who do you think you are, knucklehead, you know, like trying to tell me that I'm not welcome in this? I'm sorry, Dad. I got to listen to God. See, here's the deal. God knew if Abram dragged Terah along, Terah was going to hold him back. Abram was going to be delayed and parched. Abram didn't know the reason behind it. God just gave him the command. But God knew. God knew the reason. That's why God commanded him to leave Terah in the first place. Here's the deal. Here's the application. You ready for this? You may not understand it yourself. And those whom God tells you to let go, They're not going to understand it either. But you've got to trust God because he knows what he's doing. You've got a destiny to fulfill. You've got a will of God that is 
trying to connect you with the people that will help propel you into your destiny. But to do that, you're going to have to disconnect with some others. He's got other people that will end up partnering. Abram ended up partnering with all kinds of people that propelled him where God wanted him to go. But Terah and, and Lot, they were not in that crew. God wants to do some things in you. God has promises for you. He's got a call of God on your life. He's got a destiny. But you have to let some people go to get where God wants you to be. That's just the way it is. Some things will never change. That's just the way it is. That's fascinating to me also that Nimrod's generation, their mantra was, let us make a name for ourselves. I mean, let's go down in history books. Let's make a name for ourselves. And Nimrod's possibly not even the name of that guy that said that. Let's make a name for ourselves. Who said that? Nimrod. Well, that's not his name. It's just Rebel. We call him Rebel. Don't even know his name. They never really made a name for themselves. But the Lord appears to Abram and says, I'm going to make your name great. It's different when you try to make your own name than when God tries or when God succeeds in making your name great. When you try to make your name great, it ends in disaster and failure. God said to Abram, I'm going to make your name great. And how would God do that? God was going to make his name great as Abram walked in humble obedience before the Lord. That's the way God exalts. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. It's not you exalt yourself. Look at my gifts and look at my talents and look what I got to bring to the table, Lord. No, 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 no. It's like I have nothing to bring to the table. You're king of kings and lord of lords. I thank you for even looking my direction, Father. And as you humble yourself before the Lord, he will exalt you. He will give you a legacy and a name and a destiny that no man can take away. Amen? And that's what it's really all about, isn't it? We all want to leave a mark. We all want to have a destiny. We want to leave a legacy behind. We're coming up on Generation Sunday. When I come to the end of my road, I don't want to have a bunch of regrets and empty promises that I thought would come to pass. I want to be the man that God has raised up and done some great things in me because I bowed the knee before him and said, not my will but yours. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get it particularly, Lord, but you are Lord and I am not. Amen? Give him some praise right now. Can you do it? Thank you, Jesus. Nimrod's generation said, we will make a name for ourselves. God said, I will make your name great. And as I preached a couple of weeks ago, his name wasn't even Abram. Abram didn't even know how far God would take him. That's really self versus God. Self-made men tend to worship themselves. God-made men worship their God. God also promised to bless those who blessed Abraham and curse those who cursed him. Donald Barnhouse points this out. This is interesting. This is interesting. Maybe we'll do a series on Bible prophecy one day. I don't know. Maybe after this Genesis thing. I don't know. 
Well, there's a lot of red-faced preachers from Bible prophecy that I've seen prophesying all kind of stuff that they got wrong. I got a book in my library called 88 Reasons Why God's Coming Back in 1988. And I keep that as a reminder. Hey, big boy, <laughs> be careful. 88 Reasons. I wasn't even in the church at the time. People were sending me that book. Do you know what that did to me? When he didn't come back on September the whatever, 1988, and I was a heathen? I said, you bunch of idiots. Just like I thought. It just confirmed my skepticism. Like, who's the prophet? You said he would. I said he wouldn't. Why don't y'all start listening to me, you know? But there's some, uh, nevertheless, book of Revelation starts out and says that whoever goes through these words looks at this vision, there's blessing for them. Whoever goes in and changes it, it's not so good. The idea is this, we can't neglect any of the books of the Bible, including the prophecy books, and there's prophecy in all of them, but the prophetic books that talk about the coming of the Lord. And Israel's intricately connected with all of that. Do you realize that? Like, the nation of Israel is really quite a new phenomenon because for years and years and years and centuries and centuries and centuries, there was no state of Israel. There was no nation of Israel. It was in fulfillment of Bible prophecy that the nation of Israel came into being. You don't hear preaching like that anymore. It was in fulfillment of biblical prophetic writings. God saw all this. God knows the end from the beginning. Ain't nothing new to God. He knows what's going on. And it goes back to this idea of Abram. I will bless Abram. I'll, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Donald Barnhouse points out, when the Greeks overran Palestine, the Holy Land, and desecrated the altar in the Jewish temple, they were soon conquered by Rome. When Rome killed Paul and many others and destroyed Jerusalem under Titus, Rome soon fell. Spain was reduced to a fifth-rate nation after the Inquisition against the Jews. Poland fell after the pogroms. Hitler, Germ Hitler's Germany went down after its cesspool of anti-Semitism. Guzik says, could this be one reason why the United States has been so blessed? The United States was one of the first modern nations to grant full citizenship and protection to the Jewish people. And I think the answer is yes. It's because of the recognition, the favor, the protection that we have been blessed. That's one of the reasons the United States of America has been blessed. Martin Luther said that the promise in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Martin Luther said it should be written in golden letters and extolled in the languages of all people, 
For who else has dispensed this blessing among all nations except the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ? And that's fully expressed in the seed of Abraham. Jesus, our Lord, every tribe, every nation, every tongue is going to be represented in heaven. And so there you go, the seed of Abraham. It's all because of this blessing of Abraham, which we'll look at some more. But let's go to verses number 5 through 7. Back in Genesis number 12, verse 5. Are you with me? Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. See, God's building the team there. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the Terebinth tree of Morah. Sounds like Lord of the Rings stuff, doesn't it? <laughs> I guess Lord of the Rings more sounds like this. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, again, the Lord is building the team. But we see, again, partial obedience by dragging Lot along. Nevertheless, it's progress. We rejoice over baby steps. And God blessed him in Haran. He's got this team growing. Verse 7 says that God would give to Abram and his descendants this land. Now, his descendants will not include those through Ishmael. That was the child that Abram fathered with Hagar. But this land would be given to Isaac, the descendants through Isaac and Jacob. And the reason we know this is because the Lord appears to Jacob and says, you see, all this land is to you and your descendants. Doesn't do that to Ishmael. So this is going to be through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's the kicker, and here's where I would like to park it. And there it says he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is his first altar he ever built. It's interesting to me. Some theologians talk about the law of first mention. It's kind of like when something's first mentioned, it has a significance. I don't know about all that, but this is the first altar that we know of that Abram ever built. Where did he learn to build it? His dad made idols. His dad was dead weight. His brothers didn't serve the true and living God. Apparently, nobody in his family did. And yet, here he is, building an altar, doing something that the ones the Lord told them to get away from had never done. They didn't know anything about it. They couldn't teach him. They couldn't model it. They couldn't mentor the art of altar building. They were followers of Nimrod. They were rebels. They were heathen. I mean, how can I put it in today's language? They were just heathens. They were sinners. In my world, when I was growing up, when somebody was really, really bad, 
my people would always say, they, they reprobate. Everybody ever hear that? They reprobate. That's a southern way of putting it. They reprobate. What do you mean by that? Well, they've seared their conscience with a hot iron. They don't know right from wrong. I think somebody accused me of that back in the day, you know. They just reprobate. They're never coming back. They've seared their conscience with a hot iron. Now, I've told you all this before. You can't ever write anybody off. You don't know who seared their conscience with a hot iron. You don't know who's reprobate. I'm telling you, God can save to the uttermost. I know he saved somebody like me. When I was all gone, others have written me off. God can save to the uttermost, to the guttermost, to the uppermost. So you don't know. You don't know. But, I mean, that's the language we always use. His family, Abram's family, they were reprobates, right? They didn't serve the true and living God. They was out smoking dope and partying. They they were they were at Woodstock and Burning Man and all this stuff. They were doing all they were heathens. They were crazy. They were at Tower of Babel. They were nuts. And the Lord begins to reveal himself to Abram. Oh man, I'm just telling you something. It doesn't matter if nobody in your family. Abram knew this, had to know this from Noah's generation. It doesn't matter if nobody in your family loves God, nobody serves the Lord. They're all going to hell in a handbasket. None of them love the Lord. If God begins to work on your heart, you can't let that past hold you back. You can start a new legacy, baby. You can be a fresh word. You can be a breath of fresh air into your lineage. You can change everything. Your family tree can fork in the right direction, you know. And so God begins to deal with Abram. And so here's the deal. When it comes to the altar, here's our options. Either the Lord himself said, here's what you do, son. You put stone upon stone. You take a lamb. You kill it. You offer it. You call on my name because the seed of the woman. Remember, Nimrod was afraid of the seed of the woman. That was what he was trying to stop. The devil was whispering in his ear. The devil knew all along. All that idolatry was to try to stop the seed of the woman from being born into the earth. And building an altar and calling on the name of the Lord was all about looking to the seed of the woman, looking to the Savior that would reverse the curse. And so either the Lord explained it to him, and he became obedient and became like Abel, like Adam, like Noah, and began to offer the sacrifices, build the altar, call on the name of the Lord. Or maybe he heard the stories. Maybe from Shem, one of Noah's sons. Maybe he heard... The story from Shem, who heard it from Seth prior to the flood. Maybe he had heard the stories and he knew God had this requirement, this way, this order of approaching him in humility, knowing we can't save ourselves, calling on the name of the Lord. We're death doomed, Lord. We're calling on you. We don't know how, we don't know how Abram knew. But it says he came into Canaan, and he built his first altar, and he did it at a place called Shechem. Shechem means shoulder in the original languages. It means shoulder. It means it means a place. You know, when you're, I'm, I'm people always calling me to move heavy items and stuff like that. I guess because of my size, my physique, and whatnot. And so they're like, "Hey, can you come move this piano, Donovan? Can you?" Lift this truck for me uh, while I change the truck. Can you, 
Can you relate, Jake? You, you understand what I'm saying? And so when you're trying to push something or move something, what do you tell somebody? You're like, come on, put your shoulder into it, man. And so you put your strength, you can put your strength in your shoulder. And we're going to see Abram's going to build some altars in Canaan. And where those altars are built, say something about the character and the nature of God. Canaan was a land that flowed with milk and honey. It was also supposed to be the place where the strength of God would be expressed and would flow as Abram walked into his destiny. And so he built an altar at the place of Shechem, and he called on the name of the Lord. He said, God, I need you. I'm calling on you. It's not my strength that's going to make this happen. It's your strength. Now, listen, we build altars today. Now, the cross satisfied all of that stuff, but we bring to him the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We bring the sacrifice of praise and worship. And I'm telling you, if you're going to walk into the destiny, the things that God's called you, build an altar around the strength of God. Humble yourself, acknowledge his strength, call on his name, look to his strength, look to his name, look to his help. I, I, I will look to the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, David said. I, I don't come to you with a, a sword and a spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel is what David said when he came against Goliath. It's that idea of that Shechem altar is I build a, a sacrifice of praise looking to your strength. I'll obey even when it hurts, when it's uncomfortable, when I have to cut somebody off. But I'm going to get where you want me to go. And I know it's not in my own strength. I don't understand all this, but I'm going to cut where you tell me to cut and leave where you tell me to leave and go where you tell me to go, even if it makes me look like an idiot, Lord. But I'm looking to your strength because you said you'd make my name great. You said you'd give my descendants everywhere I put my foot, Lord. And I'm trusting you. Stand with me right now. Are you with me? A sacrifice. He built an altar. And he called on the name of the Lord. The strength of God would flow in that land. We should expect the strength of God to flow as we obey him. When, when, when you turn to him in the first place, the Bible says heaven rejoices. There's a party in heaven. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to show himself strong on your behalf. The eyes of the Lord look throughout the earth, looking for somebody he can show himself strong to. I'm telling you, when you repent, it gives him great pleasure. His power is released. When you are baptized in his name, it's, it's like turning to the Lord, looking to his strength to raise you up in the last day, and his power is released. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you're filled with power, clothed with power from on high. What, what is that? It's, it's the power of God released in your life to live, to be a witness, to do what he's called you to do, to be who he's called you to be. And when you obey the simplest of commands, 
when the Lord says, you shouldn't hang out with those people. You need to turn that channel. You need to stop going there. You need to stay away from the Texas club. Like, what? But Lord, I like the Texas club. Wow, it's like super quiet. Is that even in existence anymore? I have never been to the Texas club just for your information. But I'm just saying, whatever. Whatever the Lord is telling you, that simple act of obedience. Yes, Lord. Wow. It's like the shoulder of the Lord is there. His arm is not short that it cannot save. He can move things around. Nothing can stop his power. Just build an altar around that. I'm walking in obedience to the best of my ability. I'm going to build an altar of praise and worship to you, God. Offer a sacrifice of prayer. I don't feel like praising God. I hadn't seen all my answers yet. I still hadn't had Isaac yet. But, Lord, I'm going to give you the praise in advance because I know you can make things happen. You're the God of all power. Does that make sense? Amen. Just close your eyes right where you are right now. Father, thank you so much, God, for your strength, for your blessing, God. I thank you, Lord, for this little story tucked away in Genesis 12, the story of Abram. So much jam-packed in there. God, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You've brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this, Lord. Everybody in this room, some of us are further down the road than others. Some of us are just taking those baby steps. But, God, every baby step releases power from on high, God. every ba- It's not that we're earning it. It's just that we're positioning ourselves to receive it, Lord. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you for it right now. I thank you for it.